Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Good morning. How are we doing? I'm so excited that someone won, I don't know when this occurred, but someone bought a very tall podium. This is perfect. It's like when you try on a glove or a pair of shoes and you're like, this is going to work out nicely. (laughs) Thankful for that. And my vision seems to not be as good as it was a few years ago, so I'm also thankful for the podium in that regard. I want to say welcome. If we've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Ben, and uh, I'm excited that you're here. We've been talking about, we've been planning, we've been looking forward to and praying for this morning for a long time, and it is here. It is upon us, and so we're thankful that you're here, and we're thankful that you're a part of that. Um, I'm, one of, uh, I'm, I'm one of the pastors on here at C1, and uh, one of the things that I'm responsible for is life groups, and I'm so excited about today. So before we dive in, I just want to say, if you're here for the first time, or you're here for the first time in a long time, or you're here for the thousandth time, if someone bribed you today with free lunch afterwards, if you would just come with them, I just want to say, hey, I don't care what it takes to get you in the building. When we were in youth, when we did youth ministry, we always believed that God brought some, uh, some very beautiful teenage girls so that he could grow the youth ministry. And I didn't need boys' motives to be good for them to walk in the door. God was the one that was going to change their motives once they got in the door. So whatever it took to get you into these doors, whether it was a pretty lady or a pizza afterwards, I don't care, but I'm thankful that you're here, and I know that God can use a donkey. He can pretty much use anything and anyone at any time whenever he wants. So thanks for being here. We're going to dive into uh, something or a, a piece of the pie that we laid out for leaders a few weeks ago. In fact, two weeks ago, we had 15 people hover around two tables. We shared a meal, and we had a training for what life groups were going to look like. And so if you were a leader, and you're here, and you're represented, you're going to hear a, kind of a reiteration or a little slice of that pie. But if you weren't there, you're going to get to hear the heart behind what we're looking for, why we're doing life groups around here. So whether you wanted it or not, it's coming at you. So thanks for being here. First passage of scripture that we're going to open up because the one thing that's going to change your lives isn't going to be anything that comes out of my mouth or mine, but it's going to be God's word. So we're going to jump in there and not waste any time in doing it. This passage, to just set it up a little bit, this is Jesus's final moments here on earth. He is about to hand over what he had begun, and he's about to ascend back up to heaven, and he's, we're not going to get to see him again until he comes a second time. But these are Jesus's words to those that were listening And so this is Jesus' mission or commission to his disciples to the, at then at that moment, just the church that existed. And so these are Jesus' words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Or it could be stated as, as you go. It's a given. You're going to go. So as you're going, make disciples of all nations baptizing him in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus in this moment hands his church a mission, and that mission has not changed, and it won't until he returns the second time. And we're looking forward to that as well. 
But Jesus hands his church a mission. And the way we, we decided to word it around here is that mission is lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. If you felt like there was an angle as you walked in the door, you're right. That's our angle. Our angle is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus, whether you've been loving him for 50 years or you don't have a relationship with him. Our angle and the reason why we exist is to do that. In short, though, we could say it in two words. Make disciples. So how in the world does one make disciples? Because that's exactly what Jesus said that we should be doing. But how does that happen? How does that occur? And what's that look like in real life? I'm glad you asked. So if you look at the life of Jesus, you're going to find the epitome of what a disciple maker looks like, or what it looks like to make disciples. And so if you haven't had an opportunity to study, uh, there are four books of the Bible that are in the New Testament, which are the last, it's about the last third of that really, really thick thing that may be catching dust on your bookshelf at home. And, and the last third of that book, of the, or the, the Bible, there is a, there's four books, and they're called the Gospels, and they're basically four different eyewitness accounts of Jesus. His birth, life, death, resurrection, uh, all of that. Each one comes at it from a different angle. But if you've not had an opportunity to dive into that, We're going to talk about some of the elements that we see played out in the Gospels through that portion of of that portion of the Bible. So, Jesus, uh, we know we just got done celebrating the fact that he came to Bethlehem just this Christmas. We were were, uh, reminded that for there to be a Calvary, first there had to be a Bethlehem. There had to be a Savior that was sent. When they knew it was going to occur, they didn't know when or what it was going to look like. But Jesus came in the form of a baby. And so we, we love that, and Jesus grows up, and after 40 days of prayer and fasting, Jesus goes, and he handpicks his disciples. He went to them. He didn't start a revival tent meeting and wait for his disciples to make their way to him. He found them exactly where they were. Then he called them, and that simply looked like this, come. Follow me. And they did. If they were fishermen, they dropped their nets. And they followed Jesus. But Jesus found them. Then he called them and invited them. And they took the invitation. So Jesus called He ate with, he slept next to, he walked down roads together, conversed, listened They listened to his teachings, they witnessed miracles, and they lived life. Jesus lived life with these 12 men. And he poured himself into them because he knew that it was through them that the work that he began would be handed to and one day accomplished. And it's worked. It wasn't just a strategy or a good strategy. It's a strategy that worked. In fact, the fact that you and I are sitting here today... And people all across the world are sitting with a relationship with Jesus Christ as a part of his church is proof that this model works. Literally, one man poured himself into 12 others. And over 2,000 years later, his mission is still being accomplished here and around the world. So we know it works, but why did Jesus use this model, this model of life in a small group? 
He could have done it really any way that he wanted to. He could have just asked them to meet at the temple once a week for a sermon or teaching. Or he just could have had it all downloaded into them like in the Matrix. But he didn't. So why this model? And I think the why starts back in the Garden of Eden. We referred to the Bible earlier, and so if you crack your Bible open, the very first book that you'll run into is Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, before Adam and Eve made a a decision to disobey God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even before Eve was created, Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says this, and this is God speaking, it is not good for man to be alone. Now understand that when these words were spoken, that man had perfect intimacy with God. Sin had not yet entered the world. No disobedience. And yet God declares these words, that man is alone and that it is not good. Isn't that profound? And something that I believe is worth considering is that God himself is a community of three persons in one. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three that Jesus referred to when he gave that commission to his disciples and said, go and baptize them in the name of the... And these three persons exist in perfect unity. And although the word Trinity isn't ever used in the Bible, it's this word that incorporates the concept of God being three persons in one, living in perfect unity. Now, before Jesus called his disciples, he was led into the desert to fast and be tempted by Satan. He was baptized by John the Baptist. And there we see each person of the Trinity each person of the Godhead functioning in unison and in different roles. We see the Son in the water of Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit descending in bodily form as a dove. And we hear the Father's voice saying, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Community is a part of the nature of God. It's not something He does. It's a part of who He is. So I'm going to make a bold statement, and I'm known for that if you don't know me yet. So just get get used to it. A follower of Jesus cannot live the Christian life and therefore cannot fulfill the Great Commission outside of community. Let me say that again. That a follower of Jesus, if you're here today and you have a relationship with Jesus, that is you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot live the Christian life and therefore cannot fulfill the Great Commission that we read earlier outside of community. Let me explain. Our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with others. There's some people in the room that you absolutely wish that that wasn't true, but you know deep down inside that it is. That our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with others. When Jesus was asked one time, you can read about it in the Gospels we referred to earlier, that what is the greatest command of all? Yes, there's a lot of them, but if there was one command, what is the greatest. And Jesus didn't 
answer the question. He, he answered the question and, the answer, and, and then tagged on something to it. So they're expecting the one command, and Jesus comes at them with two commands because they're inseparable. And Jesus' response was to love God. To love God. And he goes into the with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's because they're inseparable. You can't love God without loving others, and you can't love others unless you are around them. And when we look at, in a book of the Bible called Acts, which follows the four Gospels that we referred to earlier, we get a picture of what small communities of people who follow Jesus together can look like. And we're going to read that passage. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says this, They, this is the disciples or the church, the, the people that Jesus entrusted this great commission to, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes. Now, before we bounce into the next slide, I want you to see this. They met in the temple courts every day, and they broke bread in their houses. Temple courts and homes. Temple courts, closest thing to that today is where you're at right now, and in their homes. And they together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I love this part. Because when community takes place, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's powerful. These believers engaged in life together through teaching, fellowship, or hanging out. That's a churchy word for saying, hanging out. Living life, not just like, hey, what's up? But like really diving in and getting to know someone. Through communion, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus paid. Through prayer, miracles, radical generosity. They, f- they were selling properties and selling whatever they had to make sure that there was not a person present that didn't have their needs filled. They didn't sit around praying for God to fill all these needs. They were doing something about it. If they had to sell something they owned so that this brother or this sister had what they needed, that's what exactly what they did. Radical generosity and corporate worship. They spend time together eating, learning, celebrating, proclaiming the good news, and supporting each other. And in addition to these verses that we just read in Acts, there are 50-plus one-another passages throughout the New Testament that would follow the books that we've been referring to this morning. And these one-another passages in the New Testament flesh out the other aspects of this community, or what does it absolutely or exactly look like to live this community out in the church? There's 50 plus other one another passages that are there. God never intended us to live the Christian life alone. We'll never be able to apply these one another scriptures throughout the rest of the New Testament 
unless we are in intentional, close relationship to one another. And Jesus was pretty clear that the way that people outside of a relationship with him would be able to identify his church was the way that we would love one another. And Jesus was was pretty clear that the way people outside a relationship with him would be able to identify his church is the way that we love one another. And the only way that love can take place is in the confines of the context of an of intentional and close community. Is it messy? Yes. Can it be uncomfortable or inconvenient? Absolutely. Will it pull you out of your comfort zone? Most likely. I know I'm building a great case. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you have a relationship with him, community is not a recommendation. It goes beyond just meeting together on Sundays. It's necessary. It's life-changing. It was designed by God for us. And it's how Jesus will accomplish his mission and hell itself won't be able to stop him. So if you're here today and you're still, still kicking the tires of the whole Jesus thing and having a relationship with him, maybe you're skeptical of the Bible or the church or you've been burned once before in your life, I just want to say this. I would invite you to dive in. Try signing up for a life group. It's, it's not something that you're expected or even commanded to do. But I absolutely believe this, that it will meet a need in your life. I believe that with all my heart. So give it a try. I mean, what, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I want to be clear and put this out there, that there's many ways that people or churches can live out community. I was looking back on a text that I uh, received. This was back in the middle of April. It was actually from a local pastor. This is before Ryan and I met, Pastor Ryan and I met. And since that moment of about middle of April, conversations have, have uh, gone on. And uh, a lot of those initially were just getting to know one another and, and getting to hear the vision that God's placed in Pastor Ryan's heart for this church and this community is something that I, something that I've that I enjoyed listening about and hearing about, even before we had even heard from the Lord that, it, that, that we should come alongside and be able to support and provide any, any help or, or whatever that looks like, whatever they need. Before we even got there, I loved hearing his heart. I loved hearing about the passion that he has for, the, for lost people, for this, for this church and for this community. And so as that conversation continued, and it's continued since then, and I've, and I've, and I've, I've captured or I felt like I've had a good job of getting a lens into what God has put in the heart of our pastor to accomplish. It was pretty clear that life groups was part of that vision. That life groups was the way that we were going to dive deep and develop community. And we're going to live life together so that discipleship can take place. And so this isn't my idea. Um, but I'm absolutely behind it, and I'm happy to be a part of it, and I'm absolutely certain that this is where we're supposed to head. And so um, here at C1, the way that we are developing community is life groups. That's it. That's what we're leaning into. You can go have coffee with friends. We hope that you do, because the church isn't just the church when we're meeting in this building. I hope you do meet for coffee, and I hope you do invite people to your house. But here at C1, the way that we're going to develop community is through life groups. 
So let's talk about what life groups are going to look like here at C1. And this is a little bit of the slice of the pie that I'm going to give you a lens into for what we offered our leaders and what we put out there and said, this is the heartbeat of what we're looking to accomplish. We feel like God's put in the heart of our pastor to accomplish as we move forward here. So what are life groups going to look like here? Because you may have been a part of one in the past, and maybe it was a great experience. And if it's a great experience, then I don't have a hard sell. But some of you didn't have a great experience, and I'm not trying to, to, to undo what was done or anything, but regardless of whether your past experience with a life group or small group was good or not, what's it going to look like here? The first thing, life groups are who we are and not something we do. Life groups are who we are and not something we do. Life groups are not a program or fellowship ministry within the church. It's not the past ministry that you were a part of years ago with a new heading or a new title or a facelift. For the New Testament church, it was a way of life. It wasn't a program. It encompassed everything. It bled into every aspect of their lives. It was not something compartmentalized. And their relationships with one another were critical to their pursuit of Jesus their growth in Christ, and their witness to the good news. It would be impossible to experience biblical community apart from the spiritually significant and intentional relationships with other believers. And maybe even others that just haven't made that decision yet, that are still seeking and still trying to figure out whether they want to take that leap or not. Therefore, relational structures like small groups are an integral part of being the church, and not just doing church. Life groups are not going to be something else that you can put on the calendar. It is a part of who we are. It is not something we do. It's a part of who we are, and it's not the church doing. It's the church being. The next thing, life groups will be discussion-based and not lecture. Studies reveal that the optimal way for people to grow and shape their belief systems is when they are provided an opportunity to discuss information and then given a safe space to discuss it and discover it and wrestle with it. The content for study and discussion from group to group, as you look at the tables here in a little bit, is going to be different. Some will walk through books of the Bible. Some will use the free Right Now media resource that's available to everyone here at C1. And if you are interested in that and you haven't signed up yet, please come talk to Pastor Ryan or to me, and we'll, we'll, we'll send out that invitation. But there's a free resource where there's 10, over 10,000 different studies that are free at our fingertips. I remember having to pay hundreds of dollars for one years ago. It's free to anyone. So the content or what you're going to be discussing, or what you're going to be diving into and wrestling with is going to look different from group to group. And that's okay. But the Bible is the ultimate authority, and people will be given an opportunity to discover its truth in an environment that's safe. It's going to be okay to ask questions. It's not going to be an opportunity like right now where everyone's just quiet and someone's up here just blasting you with truth. They are going to be designed for the key role of being able to dialogue and ask questions. And if you don't get it, you can raise your hand and say, you know what, I'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around that. You can do that. Life groups will be discussion-based and not lecture. The next thing is that life groups will be the first responders. 
I just want you to hear, um, I'm going to say something that, that probably Pastor, Pastor Ryan uh, could say but might not get away with it because he's your pastor. So I'm going to share something with you as someone who has spent the last 15, 16 years in full-time ministry engaged in the local church and seeing some things. I want to say this, that in a church of 50 people, the common expectation is for Pastor Ryan to always be where everyone needs him. No one's told me that, but I'm pretty clear on that because I've been a part, my dad pastored my whole life. Um, I'm pretty clear on that. The common expectation is for Pastor Ryan to be all things to all people, which your own interpretation means that he needs to be everything that you need him to be, everywhere all at the same time, almost like this definition of like what God actually is, always everywhere at the same time, able to do anything and everything more than we can ever ask or imagine, but that's not God. This is Ryan. This is Pastor Ryan. He's a human being, and he's been sent here by God. But that's a common expectation in a small church. And can I be frank with you this morning, which I kind of already have been, so I'm asking forgiveness rather than permission, that that idealism or that idea is unrealistic, and it's unbiblical. I'll be honest with you. It's unbiblical. As we grow, it's also going to become impossible. Pastor Ryan's going to continue to visit and to serve as he's available. And if you know anything about Pastor Ryan, if you spent any time around him, he'd give you the shirt off of his back. He'd help you with anything and everything you'd ever need. But he cannot be in multiple places at the same time. And he's not going to be everything to everyone to always. It's just not, it's not realistic or, or biblical or even, uh, it just doesn't even make sense. But the responsibility to care for the church, is not just his sole responsibility. Just like the responsibility to reach every single person in the city of Columbia and the outer skirts areas is not solely Pastor Ryan's responsibility. The way he's living, he might just do it. But it's not his sole responsibility. If we're waiting around for Pastor Ryan to invite every person in this community to this church It might happen. It's going to take him about 50 years. But it's not his sole responsibility. It's our responsibility. Do you know that 70 to 80% of people that attend a church are there for the sole reason of they were invited? And I'll just let you in on this secret. The minute that anyone, whether it's Pastor Ryan or any other person, anyone who's served in ministry knows this to be true, the moment that you say that you're a pastor, is the moment that conversations usually either come to a close or a confession session begins. So Pastor Ryan's not even given the same opportunity that that, that you and I may even have because the minute they find out he's the pastor, they're like, oh, of course he's inviting me to his church. He's trying to get in my pocketbook. Nothing could be further from the truth. But 70 to 80% of people that walk into the church today are there or are here because someone made an invitation. And it looked like this. Hey, you want to come to church with me? I didn't need to know a verse. I didn't need to like attend a seminary. I literally just said, you want to come to church with me? And the worst thing that's going to happen is, no. Well, that's pretty clear. All right. And if you only have one person you hang out with, then you're going to have to make some friends. But it's our responsibility. 
And it didn't say that Peter or James were, they took care of them and they sold all their stuff and they, they sold all their belongings so they could take care of the church. It was they all took care of one another. It's a collective effort. Many hands make like work. And the more people that come together, the more powerful it can be. As life groups form, it will be common to see life group members arriving to the hospital or to homes before Pastor Ryan is even aware. I heard an amazing story this last week, and it it was of a gentleman that had to be taken to the emergency room. And while they were there, and I believe this was like, this is in the evening or at night, not a convenient time. While they were there, nine life group members came and stayed the entire time. Nine life group members. That might be as big of a life group as it is. There's only nine people in it. Yeah, and they all showed up at the ER. And I don't know if the pastor showed up or not. I'll be honest with you, it doesn't matter. But what I do know is that that is what I'm talking about when I say that life groups will often be the first responders because they're the ones that are going to be the closest. They're going to be living life with these people. And if someone's in the hospital... They're not going to have to be told. They're in the midst of it. They've been praying for them. They've already showed up to the hospital. They've, they've already given them a high five and said, God's got this. That's what life groups is going to look like. And life groups will be the first responders. And it's not a separate thing from what Pastor Ryan does. If anything, it's a, an extended and a, and a strengthened effort to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and to come alongside our pastor and serve him. Life groups will, the next thing would be, life groups will serve our community. There was a, there was a question that um, a few years ago we had to wrestle to the ground, and the question was this. If our church ceased to exist like today, it just completely like gone, just disappeared overnight, would anyone notice or care? Would our community notice or care? Would anyone outside of the church notice or care? They should. Every session, each group will be Uh, responsible for and have the opportunity and privilege to find a need in our community and fill it through what we're going to call, we're just calling it a service project. Because we're going to come together and as a united front, as a group, as each group will be, they will find someone or something to serve. And we're going to do it. And we're not going to call the newspaper and we're not going to announce it, and we're not going to give them a bunch of C1 stuff and let them know, leave a paper trail so they can come find us when they say, who did that? We're going to serve this community with no strings attached. It might be an organization. It might simply be a family or an individual, or maybe it's even another church. If there's another church that could use a group of people to come alongside and help them and bless them as they push the mission forward, or it could even be a local business. Each life group, each session is going to find a need in the community, and we are going to fill it, and we're going to serve. 
If you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, hey, the other day I ran into a Christian that didn't serve. Jesus would probably say, I've never heard of one of those. I've just never heard of a Christian that doesn't serve. I just don't know of someone who has a relationship with me that doesn't serve. Look at the life that Jesus modeled. It was from the posture of serving. And that's what we're going to do in our community. We're going to serve with no strings attached so that Jesus can get all the credit and the glory. And lastly, life groups will multiply. Pastor Ryan alluded to this earlier, that life groups are going to be 8 to 12 people. And it's not because there's anything necessarily golden about that number. And, and uh, you know, if we go under that or over that, then Jesus isn't present. He's pretty clear that two or three or more gather in his name. He's right there in the midst. But the reason is, is that because it's going to be discussion-based and because it's going to be a group of people that live closely together. I mean, Jesus himself picked 12 people. So I think that's a pretty good reason why we should shoot for 8 to 12. There's going to be groups of 8 to 12 people that are going to meet on different days at times all across our community, living in intentional community with one another. And as groups grow beyond the size of 12, come next session, we're going to be in conversation with those leaders about branching that group into two different groups. Now, I know that I've absolutely just become the most unpopular person in the room because the human expression is us four and no more. We just want to grow old together. And I'll be honest with you, um, you can have it your way. But at the end of the day, I know this, that when I started hearing about a vision of God bringing 200 people into this church, I'm immediately thinking we've got to create space for them. I don't know if you watched Facing the Giants, but it's a movie and it's talking about uh, if, if you're looking for a harvest, you better start plowing. You better start preparing the ground if God's going to do it. He's not going to just scatter seed on a, on a rocks, rocky surface ground. We've got to do what we can and get prepared for and make straight the path so that when Jesus walks in, it's not going to be, why did you guys, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you prepare? Why didn't you, if, if I told you 200 people were coming, it's kind of like, hey, the floods are coming. Why in the world didn't you build an ark? So if 200 people are coming, we've got to give opportunity for them to get baptized. We've got to have opportunity for them to get saved. And we've got to have opportunity for them to get plugged into the local life of the church and have community. And in order to do that, we got some growing to do because right now 200 people don't fit into six life groups. Our goal isn't to grow old and create an us, an us for and no more mentality. We have to multiply because 200 people in 2020 are going to need to have a place where they can live life and get to know you guys. And now it's response time. We have every single Sunday that you come here, we have a moment for when God's word goes forth, and then we respond. And today, the response is going to look like this. For at least the next 30 minutes, we have tables that are set up, and they represent a different life group. And um, although, for instance, there, if there's a youth table over there, and you're pretty clear that you haven't been in youth ministry for 50 years, I would still encourage you to go visit that table, because you may have grandkids. Or you may have some neighbors that have kids. Or you may have some people that walk into your life group that have kids. And they need to know that we have something for teenagers to be able to connect with one another and get to know Jesus and get to know one another. And so I would encourage you to go to every single table. And the other reason is is because every single table has a different snack. And it's almost lunchtime, folks. Just kidding. It's not even 11 o'clock yet. You're welcome. So for 30 minutes, at least... We're going to invite you to go to every single table. At that table, you're going to see a note card, and on that note card is going to be the leader's names, the location where that, where that group is going to be meeting, 
And then the day and time, every week that they're going to be meeting, we're going to be launching, as soon as we get into February, we are launching a session. We're going to go for seven weeks. Your leader is going to explain this to you when you find that life group. But that's the timeline that we're looking for. So we have, we have about two weeks for you to be able to think about, for you to hear and see what's available across the church at the moment for life groups that are available. And depending on your schedule or if something strikes a chord with you, a conversation that you have, if you're interested, I would ask you to sign on that little sign-up clipboard that's going to be right next to that informational note card. And um, for the next 30 minutes, and we're also going to pre- we have uh, bottles of water that we're going to cart out here. So if, uh, after you start eating a bunch of cookies and stuff like that, you're going to need something to wash it down. So we'll have that available as well. But uh, we just want to encourage you. And for some of you, for the introverts that are in the room, I, I'm going to ask that for the next 30 minutes that you get out of your comfort zone because the kind of intentional community that we just got done talking about can start right here, right now. And I know you might be peopled out by the time you get home, but that's why you're going home, so you can get away from people. <laughs> but right now, it's time to people. So it's going to be a little bit people but that's what community looks like. And we love you introverts. And sometimes you put up with extroverts, and I appreciate that. So go around, talk with each of these leaders. If you're interested, please sign up. There'll be a sign-up sheet on the table, and uh, please partake of those snacks. Get to know some people, and let's let that intentional community that we talked about, that the Bible speaks very clearly about, that Jesus modeled, let us start now. Let's do it.